Elrod, it's that time of the week. Power five rankings. That's right. Are you ready? I'm ready. So this is Doug Thornell. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. This is The Electables, and we're going to take you through our Power 5 rankings for the Des- for the Democratic primary campaign. I'll start us off. My number five is New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Cory, I think, ha- has had a, a very strong rollout so far. Uh, he just did Rachel Maddow, like so many other of uh, the candidates who are in. I think he has a lot of potential with... Uh, younger voters, with Bernie supporters, uh, with uh, African-American voters as well. And I think he can be uh, the type of candidate that can uh, make waves in Iowa. So he's my number five. So my number five is Amy Klobuchar from the great state of Minnesota, who just jumped into the race um, this week. Um, Look, Amy, I I think she's going to be one of those people who really surprises people on the debate stage. She's got low name ID nationally. I think she's got a lot of room to grow there, but I think that she will grow that a lot, um, especially, again, once the debates start. Um, And I think as people start, you know, sort of, you know, thinking about who they're going to support in the primary, they're going to look at the fact that she's from the most important region, arguably, but I would say it's almost not arguably the most important region in the country, Um, which is the Midwest uh, in terms of Democrats winning back the White House or a Democrat winning back the White House. Um, She uh, has outperformed the Democratic uh, base numbers in Minnesota consistently in her elections. Um, And for Amy, she's got the electability argument on her side. Um, It's also important to note that when it comes to the Electoral College in the general election, um, it tends to pull a little bit more than its actual weight. Uh, So, again, I think if I was Amy, I'd really hone in on the fact that I'm from the Midwest, a region that Democrats need to reclaim, need to win back, and I can be that person to do it, and that's why I put her in number number five. My number four is Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, and here are my reasons. One, I think she has right now the sharpest message, the most coherent message, the most authentic message of anyone running. Two, I think she's going to uh, compete extremely well in New Hampshire. I think she's going to be able to raise a lot of grassroots uh, dollars. And uh, I think that uh, if Bernie Sanders doesn't run, I think a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters are going to take a look at uh, Elizabeth Warren. So she is obviously dealing with some issues related to her Native American heritage, and that continues to sort of dog her. But uh, I like her. uh, I think she's going to get beyond that. And... um, Uh, I like her in my number four spot. So my number four is Beto O'Rourke. I think he was my my number four last week. Um, But but I got there's a caveat here, and that is if he doesn't get into this race soon, I think he's going to lose momentum, lose steam. Um, He just held a a rally in El Paso, sort of a counter rally, if you will, to Trump's event down there at the border, and attracted a very large crowd. The visuals were very compelling. Um, So he still has steam and momentum, but I think the longer that Beto waits to run uh, or announce that he's running, uh, the more sort of his national pizzazz, if you will, um, will run down. So I I put him at number four, but with a giant big asterisk. Well, I put Beto at my number three. And I think his his event this week at the border, uh, side by side with the president, was a big sort of mojo booster for him. He's sort of has come out of... um, uh, hiding for a little bit uh, that he was in. Uh, I think he's got the potential to raise a lot of money. Uh, 
Uh, we, we saw that in the Senate race against uh, Ted Cruz. I think he's got a strong message. Uh, he's exciting. He's young. Uh, I think he can pull from a bunch of different types of voters. And, um, you know, I think he – I'm not convinced he runs, but uh, I think he's the type of candidate who can play in a whole bunch of different types of states. So Beto is my number three. My number three is Elizabeth Warren. Um, I had last week, I had Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders both at number three. I am totally taking Bernie San- Sanders out of my top five because, again, I think he's one of those candidates who uh, the longer he waits, the more excitement um, is being generated um, around, among his base for people like Elizabeth Warren and, to an extent, people like Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke as well. Um, they represent the future of this party. I think represent Bernie, to an extent, represents the past. Um, and I think that's that perception is starting to take hold in a more national uh, national capacity. Um, Elizabeth Warren is her campaign so far has been extremely successful. She's ruling the income inequality argument. Um, anytime she announces a policy pertaining to taxes, um, how to tax the wealthy, how to you know reapportion uh, the tax base, uh, everybody else sort of follows suit. She is the standard bearer there. And I think she's very she's in very uh, full control of her campaign. I don't see that aspect changing. Um, it really puts her in the driver's seat. She's a strong debater. She's got a really strong staff. Um, I don't uh, I, I don't see her losing any momentum at all at this point. My number two is former Vice President Joe Biden. And uh, Vice President Biden has actually been my number one for the past several weeks, but uh, I'm dropping him to number two mainly because of the strength of uh, our number one that I'll get into. But Joe Biden still brings a lot to the table. I think, um, look, he's got his, the record of being uh, President Obama's number two. Uh, I think he's going to be able to com- uh, compete well in Midwestern states. I think he's going to be, I think fundraising is going to be a, a question mark that we should take a look at with him. But he's very popular with the party. He has a very high name ID, and he also has a very high favorability rating. So uh, if he gets in, I expect Joe Biden to be the front runner, and that comes with um, – it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, but it still remains to be seen if he gets in. But right now, um, I see the vice president as my number two. Yeah, I've got um, Vice President Biden as my number two as well. Um He's one of the few candidates, in fact, I think maybe at this point the only candidate who really can afford to wait until the second quarter to get in. Um, but he, um, you know, the, the, lo- the longer he stays out, the more excitement it continues to be generated by from some of these other candidates and um, the more of an advantage that these other candidates have in terms of building their um, their campaign and their infrastructure on the ground. Of course, we um, now know that the DNC has announced its uh, criteria to participate in the first debate. Joe Biden will certainly more than surpass that criteria, but grassroots fundraising is one aspect of that, um, and that is oftentimes generated by a strong ground game in certain states. So um, I love Uncle Joe. I'd love to see him run, but I think that he uh, should probably be uh, pretty close to making a decision if he wants to be impactful. Yeah, and I think there – uh, with the vice president, with Beto O'Rourke, with Bernie Sanders, I think those three. But in particular, I think the vice president, him uh, having not made a decision yet, I think it has actually frozen the race to some degree in terms of operatives, activists, and donors who are um, you know, waiting to see what he does. And so if 
because I think there's been a, a bunch of people uh, who have been non-committal in this race in terms of who they're going to support, and I think in part that has to do with trying waiting to see what uh, Vice President Biden does. Are you trying to tell us, Doug, that you're going to leave the podcast and join <laughs> Vice President Biden's campaign if he runs? I uh, I am a big fan of Joe Biden, but I'm a big fan of this podcast, so I don't think I'm going to be going anywhere. Um, number one, drum roll. Which Drum I, roll. I can't do. I can't roll my R's. Numero I said I would. uno. My number one, and it's the my new number one for this week, is Senator Kamala Harris from California. And in, and a lot of this just has to do with how she has conducted her campaign since she launched it. She had a great rollout. She had a good town hall on CNN. She obviously had this huge rally in Oakland that drew twenty thousand people. Um. She has been able to raise a whole lot of money. She's put together a very good uh, team. Uh, she has uh, dealt with some of her vulnerabilities on the front end. I have. I, I just feel like just from a ta- pure tactical standpoint, she's done almost everything right. Now, look, we haven't got into the rigors of Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina in five events a day and in the exhaustion that candidates uh, face. So that's a big measuring stick, and we, we aren't there yet. But just in terms of what all of the candidates who have gotten in, and I'm going to give her credit. I think one of the reasons why uh, I moved Biden down from one to two is because he's not in the race yet. She's in, and uh, I think she's de- demonstrated that she can run a very good campaign. And so far, she's done everything right. So Kamala Harris is my new number one. Yeah, I'm with you, Doug. Um, she is my number one as well. Um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, she's got a strong team. She's run a very systematic campaign so far. Um, she has, as, as you mentioned, addressed her vulnerabilities, particularly on criminal justice when she was a prosecutor um, in California. She's hit those head on as well, and I think that she will um, continue to address those issues. She's authentic. I think authenticity is extremely important in this primary, and we also have Quite a few candidates who are authentic, so that's she certainly is not alone in that realm. Um, and I also just want to, I know I've, I've said this before, but I cannot emphasize enough the importance of building a strong team who also understands the delegate process. She hired Delegate Dave. I've mentioned him before. I'm hoping at some point that he will eventually come on our show because he knows the delegate process inside and out, which we'll get into in a later podcast, but that is going to have a huge bearing and a huge impact on who becomes the nominee. Um, so for all those reasons, Kamala is my number one. So one uh, new piece of the Power Five is our dark horse. Uh, and um, I'm going to start with my dark horse. and that Richard it- Ojeda. You're <laughs> hoping he runs, even though he said he's not going to. Yeah, well, no, he ran and then he dropped out, right? Right, yeah. He, he ran for like two months. Uh, my dark horse, and I, the, I think with my, th- this is, you know, these are the folks who, you know, one, we kind of wish we w- would get in, and they've given indications that they're not so sh- certain about that. But And also the ones that we think might be able to compete uh, well uh, if they were to get in. Uh, so I am going to say that my dark horse is, we interviewed him, actually, John Hickenlooper. Now, here's why I think he's an interesting person to keep an eye on. One, he uh, is a governor who's got a strong record. Uh, Two, I think his message actually might fit with where the party is right now, which is someone who is pragmatic, who can get things done, and who can actually beat Trump. 
uh, and uh, three, uh, I think there is a lane for a moderate Democrat to run. I'm not suggesting that that's where the party is going to go. We may, we may not. I don't know that. But um, there is a lane for a moderate candidate to run. And he, if others don't decide to fill that or get in there, I think Hickenlooper could fill that. And so he's someone I would keep an eye on. And I think he could be, you know, he could make some waves, uh, particularly in, uh, uh, in a place like Nevada. And then moving forward, as we get into Super Tuesday in some other states, maybe even California. Uh, so keep an eye on John Hickenlooper. We aren't sure if he's going to get in or not, but uh, he, could be, he could be someone to watch. So my dark horse is sort of along these lines that you just mentioned, um, somebody who's more moderate, and that is Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia. Um, I would even put him, his standing a little bit stronger than it was um, a couple weeks ago because of what happened in Virginia, because Ralph Northam and Justin Fairfax and the whole slate of Democrats who are leading offices there are refusing to step down because Terry did take such a huge stand. He was so involved in um, the Charlottesville riots. Um, he was a very popular governor in Virginia. Um, he flipped the state from really purple. I wouldn't say it was solid red, but it was purple to solid blue. And he can raise a lot of money. And I think if Joe Biden in particular doesn't run, I think Terry's got a very, very good chance of sort of, uh, you know, taking on the white working class voter. I think he'll play well in, st- in, in Midwestern states along with Amy Klobuchar. Um, but Midwestern he, states, really? Well, yeah, because I mean, I think that like, look, he, Terry has a lot of appeal to a white working class voter. And Midwestern states, a lot of the voters that we lost in 2016 are the white working class voters in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So I think Terry, based on his record, his moderate positions on a number of issues, his record of creating jobs, uh, his strong labor ties, and the fact that he can raise a lot of money will play very well, has the potential rather of playing well in some of those states. But I also want to add the caveat that if if Joe Biden runs, I think it's going to be that much harder for Terry McAuliffe. I think it's a lot harder for any, all of them if Joe Biden runs. I'm not saying he will win the nomination, but he complicates things for a number of the candidates running. So That's right. Well, folks, that's the Power Five for this week. For Adrian Elrod, I'm Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables. We'll see you next time.